all I want, Jesus, is to be like you. Jesus, Jesus, some of what I want is to kind of be like you. That's not what John 3.30 calls us to, to say. Jesus, all I want is to be like you, and I've got a list of some other things. Jesus, all I want is to be like you, and I really would like to be like this other person, too. What would it be like if it could honestly be our prayer, Jesus, I want to be like you more than anything else in the world. It is you and you alone. You are enough for me. You are all that I need. Grab your Bible. I want you to turn with me to the uh, book of, of Mark. And uh, we're going to be at a couple different places. But turn to the book of Mark, uh, chapter 11. Uh, we'll be there in just, just a second. We've been in this series entitled Celebration and Connection. We've been looking at what God is calling us to be a part of as a church, to celebrate God big on the weekend in spirit and truth, to connect small on Sunday and throughout the week in groups and classes. And in those groups and classes, we have core values that we're hanging on to that we are confident that help us become like Christ. It's fertile ground for discipleship. When we care for one another, when we learn from God's Word and somebody else, and when we serve People outside of ourselves. Here on this Palm Sunday, as you look in your text there in Mark chapter 11, it talks about the triumphal entry, a Palm Sunday. I, I just can imagine the disciples of what they had to have in their mind is, is they had seen all kinds of miracles that Jesus had done. They had been close to him. They saw his power. They saw his authority. And, and now they've got to be thinking, finally, He's going to set up his kingdom. We're coming in. He's going to be in charge. He's going to set things straight. And we are on the winning team. Take your Bible and turn back one uh, chapter, one, one page or so in my Bible. Uh, Mark chapter 10. Look at verse 35 with me. Before the triumphal entry, this is recorded of what some things that had happened. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. <laughs> I like that. It just reminds me of, of some friends that I have or even uh, people in my family. My daughter would come and say, Hey, Dad, would you say yes? Well, to what? Just say yes, and then I'll tell you what to. They, they had it in their mind. This is what we want. We want you to do whatever it is we ask of you. And Jesus wisely says... And uh, what do you want me to do for you? Let me find out what it is that you're really wanting, and, and then we'll, we'll see if I can give this to you. They said to him, grant that we may sit on your right and one on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. So they go to him and they say, Jesus, we've got this figured out. You know what? You are in charge. You are large. You are the man. We believe in you. And we just kind of want to get on the ground floor. So can one of us sit on your right and one sit on the left? You know what? I'm cool either way. I can be on the left or I can be on the right. But we just want to be in spot one and two right next to you. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. 
I can just imagine that the disciples, when they would see that triumphal entry, they thought, here it is. This is exactly what we've been hoping for. But some things are a little bit different than what they could have imagined. Look at Mark chapter 10, moving over to verse 42. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Then verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This Jesus who comes in on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, on a young donkey, chose the mode of transportation of a servant, not a king. He was telling them, if you really want to be on my left and right, if you really want to be great, if you really want to be the the person next to me, you need to be like me. Jesus, Jesus, would you do this for me? Would you make sure that I'm your number one or your number two? Jesus says, if you want to be more like me, you need to understand what this is about. I didn't come so I could be served. I came so I could serve. Now take your Bible and turn with me to Philippians Chapter 2, look at verse 1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. What is it? Chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Jesus Christ. Have the same attitude of Christ Jesus. See, who is it that you really want to be like? It's one thing to just say, Jesus, Jesus, I want to be more like you on Sunday morning in worship. But our life is declaring who it is we want to be like. Who who is your hero? Who are you modeling yourself after? It wouldn't have been that long ago that when you would ask that question, who is your hero, that some people would maybe list a teacher or a, a spiritual mentor in their life or, or someone like that. But in our media-saturated society, many people's heroes are either in the sports arena or it's one who is in Hollywood, or one who has achieved a large amount of wealth, and they are, they are famous for what they have. You know, it can tell you a lot about a society, what we lift up as our hero. It can tell you a lot about a society of, of who we esteem to be the greatest, and who is the greatest among us, and who we want to be like. It can tell you a lot about who you are, if you can identify who you're modeling yourself after, who you lift up, who you think is a hero. Jot this down. Tell me... Your hero, and I can tell you what you value. And tell me the person that is the epitome of success for you, and I can tell you what you value. Show me your hero, and I can show you your future. Show me the person that you lift up. Show me the person that you think has it all together. Show me the person that, that is the hero in your life, and I can show you what your future will be like. We become the person That we admire. So who is your hero? To help you answer that question. Today we think of heroes of 
those who are measured by power or fame or popularity, but Webster defines it a little bit broader for us, a little bit more accurately for us. A hero is a man or a woman noted for their courageous acts of nobility of purpose, especially one who has risked or sacrificed their life. If we think about that phrase, who is it that has risked the most, who has sacrificed the most, the greatest hero of all time comes clearly into focus. Jesus, who risked everything, leaving heaven, leaving all the comforts of everything he deserves and who he is, coming to earth, humbling himself to die, even a death on a cross, a criminal's death. See, the heart of heaven's hero in Jesus Christ is one that we need to understand. We need to see if we are going to be like Jesus, we need to understand what it is. It's my argument this morning that for us to be like Jesus, the fertile ground is when we care for each other, when we learn from God's word and someone else in community, and we serve somebody besides ourselves. Not because it's just a good thing that comes in threes and it's a good slogan. It's not because it's your pastor's idea. I believe it is a Bible God idea. God has called us to have the attitude of Christ. And this is an attitude of a servant. You see, there's a couple of places where Jesus peels back his heart and lets us see who he really is. In Matthew 11:29, he says about himself, he describes himself this way. I am gentle and humble in heart. First and foremost, Jesus characterizes himself as humble. Now, on the surface, that kind of sounds arrogant. You know, somebody who's so proud of being humble, or I just want you to all know that I'm, I'm so humble. It's like the man who received an award for being humble, who wore the award all the time, and then he got it taken away because he was no longer humble. And so what is this? Is, is Jesus arrogant to say, I'm so humble? No. Jesus has more than anyone who's ever walked the face of the earth. He has more glory. He has more power. He has everything that was right there before him. He leaves that down for 33 years, comes and lives among us, humbles himself, and comes to us. Who did he come to? Look around. He came to people like us. There's no angels among us. He came to people who despised him, who hated him, who didn't want to have anything to do with him, who wanted to try to take what he said and twist it. Jesus humbled himself. This is not some kind of vain conceit where Jesus is saying, well, I'm kind of the humblest of all. It's the fact. It's the one who is by his very example of heaven's hero laid down his life, died a criminal's death on a cross for someone other than himself. The second word he uses to define himself is equally surprising when he says, I did not come to serve, but to, to be served, but to serve, to give my life away as a ransom for many. We find it in Matthew, we find it in Mark, we begin to see these threads woven all throughout Scripture of Jesus' purpose to come to seek and to save the lost, not to be served, but to serve someone else, to give his very life as a payment, as a ransom for many. Now think about that for a second. That's exactly what Paul is hoping for the Philippians, his friends there in Philippi, when he learns that they need to hear this message. He said the best way to live life, the way to get the most joy in life, is discover the truth that when you pattern your life after Jesus, if you can say, Jesus, Jesus, all I want is to be more like you. I want to be like you. You will be taking on the attitude of Christ, which is an attitude of a servant. In verse 3 and 4, he gives us the pathway 
to Christ-like living. Paul begins by reminding this church what brings joy, what brings purpose in life, what is the most important thing. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. God is placing a big, green, flashing light before us, church. And it's just two letters. G-O. Go. Serve somebody. Love somebody. The Great Commission that we've been talking about that's over here on your right. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all the things that I have commanded you. It is time for us to Go. We don't just wait for someone to come to us. We don't just say, well, when they stumble in our doors, then we can give them the message. We are to go with a servant's attitude and meet our world where they are at. He's challenging us to get out of our comfort zone, to serve our community. My prayer is that Grace Point will be known as a church that serves others, people besides ourselves. Now, if we can't serve one another, it makes it pretty hard to serve people outside the family. But I am praying that God would allow us to be characterized as people who are selfless, who have made themselves humble in the eyes of the world to serve people beside ourselves. Now, we are a holiness church, but holiness means nothing unless we live it out before the world around us. When people drive by this church, and they drive out here, and they see this building, I don't want them to say, well, that's the church that does soccer, or that's the church that is a really holy church, or that's the church that does X, Y, Z. I pray that they say, that's the church that loves people. That's the church that serves people. That's the church that doesn't wait for people to come to them. They go, and they serve out of a heart of Jesus. You see... When we love and serve Jesus, we love and we will serve somebody else. Serving is one of the three main focuses I shared with you about when we connect together. See, if we think connection is about me just getting a group of friends and I just feel tight. Chris, I like hanging out with you. But you know what? As, as good as it is hang out with you, if we just hang out together so we can hang out together, so we can be friends and we can go have olives in salad in Oh, vinaigrette on the salad. It's, it's sounding good. Now the Lord's changing it from pizza and all the other things that used to be in there, but I haven't given up the olives. Now I've got to go to the gym. He's reminding me. But it, it's fun to hang out. It's fun to have a relationship. It's fun to break bread or, or to eat together. But if it's just for you and me, if it's just to fill my heart, if it's just so I can feel like I have a church home, it's all worthless. It's temporal. It's just for this place. But if we can lock arms like gospel partnership, I'm not going to hold your hand, but it's like this. If we lock arms in a gospel partnership where we are moving down the road together, we are connecting in community. Thank you, brother. Man, you're strong. We're, we're connecting in community with oh, geez, strong. With a purpose. There's a purpose there. And so when we gather in groups and classes, it's not just to have fellowship, although that's good. We are to care for one another and to be cared for, to learn from God's Word and to serve somebody beside ourselves. Right. Right. To be a healthy Christian means to have this outflow of service 
to people around us. You may not be a skilled communicator. You may not have the gift of gab, but everyone can find their place in service. In a number of weeks, you're going to see a, a, a ministry fair here. And some of the ministries are going to help us learn how to serve one another in the body. Some of the ministries are helping us get outside and serve other people. But you're going to have an opportunity to see that every person in this church can use their gift to serve somebody else. I don't know if I want to go to a ministry fair and go to the gym and look at tables and see. Why not? Jesus said, go and make disciples. Go get out of your comfort zone. Go and do something. Don't just sit. Don't just consume. Don't just lay back. But press in. God wants us to be a part of His mission. As we become a church of servants, we will also be the most joy-filled church in all of Fort Wayne. You cannot serve with the attitude of Jesus and be grumpy. Now, Now, don't misunderstand me. You can serve and have the attitude of Jesus and have all kinds of problems in your life. You can serve and have suffering. You can serve and be treated unjustly. But you cannot serve with the attitude of Jesus and be grumpy. Because when I serve and when I become like Jesus, not out of my strength, but out of His Spirit, we'll talk about that later, when I'm doing that, He infuses me with joy. Have you been around somebody and everything else in their life should dictate that they're in a rotten mood? But there's just something about them. No matter what comes their way, there's joy in their life. This is the fragrant offering of Jesus. As one prayed last night in Saturday prayer, God, when I feel pressed in on all sides, would you allow the oil of your fragrance to come out of me as I am pressed? May you be glorified. This is a heart of someone who says, I want to serve like Jesus. Jesus says, Rather, Paul's telling us here, uh, don't be selfish, verse 3 and 4. Don't live to make a good impression on others, no. But in other words, serve with a healthy disregard for self. Those are my words, not the Scripture, but, but jot that down. We need to serve with a healthy disregard for self. Now, some people have such an unhealthy view of themselves that they think they're being Christ-like when they hate themselves. This is not what humility is. But a healthy disregard for myself that I choose to put somebody else first. Other people feel like they're so healthy because they have such a great self-image, which is code for, I just love me. I love me. I love me. I love my shit myself. I love me, I love me, I love my picture on the shelf. I love me, I love me, I love myself to death. I'm the greatest thing in the world. I take my own breath. I love myself. And if this is our heart and attitude, it's going to be very difficult to see what Jesus is calling us to. It doesn't mean that we hate ourselves, but we prefer others to ourself. True servants, they don't serve to feed their ego. True servants don't decide, well, I'm going to serve right now. They serve automatically. They don't even realize they're doing it. They see a need and they meet it. Now, I think it was a little over a year ago, I shared a little illustration that helps me. I have a simple mind. But the the question is, are you wearing a bib of celebrity or an apron of a servant? Well, a, a bib is for those who are served. Feed me. Give me what I want. I'm hungry. 
just going to cry and whine until someone comes and sticks food in my mouth. There's a place for an infant to do this. But it's an infant stage. When your child is no longer three months, but your child is 30 years old, and they're sitting at home, and they are whining, feed me! It ceases to be cute. It's no longer healthy. This is no longer a pattern of what we want to see happen. And so if you find yourself at the infant stages of Christianity, and you're, you're, you're needing someone to come feed you, this is okay. Take the milk. But know that God's going to call you to grow up. Serve somebody else. Well, how do I know if I have the bib of celebrity? It may not be your cry for someone to feed you, but it's your cry that everything is focused on you. As soon as you wake up, as soon as you're aware of a situation, it's about you. It should be what I want, how I want it, when I want it, where I want it. This is absolutely opposite of the attitude of Jesus, the heart of a servant. So why do we care about caring, learning, and serving here at Grace Point? Because it rhymes? No. Because the Bible tells us that when we have an attitude of Jesus, we will serve like Him. Uh, you know what? If, if all of our communities, hundreds of them I can see in my mind, all across Fort Wayne, not just in this building at North Campus, not just in the building at South Campus, but in our homes, in the places that we work, hundreds of Christ-like communities who are united in prayer, intentionally reaching their world around them out of an overflow of what Jesus is doing, it will change some things in us. It won't just be about what I want. It won't just be about well, what I need. The bib of celebrity can no longer be the article that we go to first. It's an apron of a servant. But when you put on the apron of a servant, it's no longer about you. It's no longer about what you want. It's about who needs something? How can, how can I serve you? Now, when I am noticed by the garment of servanthood that I put on, it's a good litmus test that I am probably growing in the right direction. It's not foolproof. There's some good fake servants. We'll have to talk about that another day. But when my heart is right, and when I am truly serving out of the attitude of Jesus... You should see like a garment on me. I should see like a garment on you. An attitude of Jesus that wants to serve. Now here's the problem. As we grow, we say, yeah, give me that, give me that apron. I'm going to try that thing on. I'm going to serve today. We'll take off the bib. The bib always comes to the surface. So in the midst of my serving, I'm willing to do only so much. But pretty soon, I need you to know that I'm serving. I need you to know that, that I deserve something. Jesus says, I want you to know what it is you ask for. You want to sit at my left? You want to sit at my right? You're excited that we're trampling into the city? I'm going to ride on a donkey, not a stallion. You need to take the bib of celebrity. You need to lay it down. Put on the apron of servanthood. And you're going to get closer to what it is that I'm talking about. You see, we cannot be selfish. Wanting to make a good impression, we need to have a healthy disregard for self. Next, Paul says, be humble. Humble people are grateful people. In other words, serve with a grateful heart. True servants don't pick and choose where they serve. They see a need and they get it done. Their gratitude works out in loving acts of service towards others. Now, this is too important to miss. 
They don't just serve because they have to. They don't just serve because that's what they think is expected. It's out of the gratitude of what Jesus has done for them. Why do we sing about what Jesus has done for us so much? We need to be reminded. It needs to be so in focus in our eyes that when I see you, I have a hard time seeing past what Jesus has done for me. Well, I am so grateful for the debt that's been paid in my life, the ransom that has been paid by Jesus. It enables me to love and serve differently. Finally, Paul tells them, think of others as better than yourself. He goes on in verse 4, don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they are doing. See, they serve with an attentiveness to others. They serve aware of the needs of others. Some of those fake servants that I was talking about, they move from just wearing a bib to putting on an apron, but the bib is there, and so they will serve on their time within their gift mix. You know what? I love the spiritual gifts that God has given us. But God has called us to be more obedient than to just be fixated on the spiritual gift He's given to us. What are you talking about? Well, some have a spiritual gift of proclaiming the gospel. They have a gift of evangelism. They have a gift of preaching. And they need to use that gift to preach and to share the good news. But regardless if you have that gift or not, you are a carrier of the Great Commission. Every person is to share the good news, to be able to give a reason for the hope they have in Jesus Christ. Now that may not be your number one gift, but we serve through our gifts. Maybe part of you sharing the hope that you have comes through hospitality. There's some who have a gift in giving But we are all called to give. God is calling us to be obedient and a heart of servanthood. Thinking of others. Serving with attentiveness to others. Not a fake servant, but focused on someone else. The pattern for Christ-like serving is as follows in verse 5 through 11. Paul writes, your attitude should be that is of Jesus Christ. Then he unpacks this statement for us when he says, Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. Jesus Christ, a member of the Trinity, the Lord of all creation, He flung the stars into space. He spins the planets on His fingers. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. He sits at the right hand of the Father in authority. He didn't flaunt His power. He didn't demand recognition. Instead, He laid down His rights and became one of us. Imagine the Christ creator of all the universe becoming a frail, vulnerable baby. Now, how does that apply to us? I think what Paul is saying, being like Christ means giving up our rights. I can't move into being a servant if I feel entitled to so much. I'm giving up my right That gives me the heart of a servant. Jesus gave up his rights to come to us. He's calling us to follow after him and to give up whatever rights we feel like we have. Take your cues from Jesus. He didn't demand or cling to his rights. The word cling here means to seize, to choke, to squeeze. It was the exact opposite. He released control. If you and I are going to be like Jesus, we've got to release control to him. He made himself nothing. What does that mean? He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. Try to imagine for a minute what it must have been like for 
the eternally existent, preeminent Christ, surrounded by the presence of the Father, enjoying the adoration of the angelic hosts, existing in this heavenly climate of perfection, to freely, without coercion, leave all that behind and to come to earth. And what did he come to do? He came to die a criminal's death. For 33 years, he laid down his glory and pointed to the Father and was an example to us. Being like Christ means taking a servant's place. Jot that down. It's taking the servant's place. Do you do that? Do I do that? Are you always posturing to get the best seat, to get the biggest pie at the table, to make sure that you are represented, to make sure that you are justified in how people understand you? Are you willing to take the place of a servant? Jesus came to earth for one purpose. It was to lay his life down for us. Because of our sin and disobedience, he paid the price that was needed for us to have a relationship with him. Write down, being like Christ means laying down my life. The Bible said he laid down his life for us, and he calls us to do likewise. This isn't us just trying to, to, try to excel more than the teacher. He says, do likewise. Lay down your life. No one has greater love than the one who lays down his life for his brother or his sister. Didn't God raise him up? To the heights of heaven and gave him the name above every name that is the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God sees this attitude in Jesus and says, this is my son who I'm going to exalt. This is the model. This is heaven's hero. This is who we pattern our life after. Finally here, being like Christ means trusting God with the results. Don't miss this. You see, if he exalts me now, then great. If he waits to eternity, then, then that's fine as well. If he sets the record straight now, great. If he waits until judgment day, are you okay with that? If it really doesn't matter to you, then you need to be okay with that. If our heart is dying out to self, God, you do what you see fit. Now there's something very important we have to understand in this goal of being like Christ. You and I can't do it. This is not about you trying and striving to be like Jesus or I'm going to be the servant that Jesus wants to be. No, when I relinquish control, let him be in charge, I rest in him, he will make me a servant. But when I keep control and under grit and might, I try to serve like him, I will never attain all of it. See, the Christian life is not about trying to be like Christ. It's about trusting Christ to make me like himself. Now, that's not just a play on words. The Christian life, it's not about trying to be like Christ in your own strength, but it's trusting him to make you like himself. It's giving up control. When we care for one another, when we learn from God's word, and we serve someone besides ourselves, it is fertile ground, church. Not foolproof, but fertile ground for discipleship to take place. Remember last week we talked about learning and, and information is a part of that. We need to have information. But friends, becoming a disciple is not memorizing eight weeks of something. Now there's a place for knowing the truth. But we have to have information plus 
applying our life to that truth. And God does transformational work in our life. And so to be a disciple is not that you have something memorized or that you have a grasp on something intellectually. Are you transformed? Is there fruit in your life? When we serve like Jesus, there will be the aroma of the fresh fruit that God is producing in us. As Pastor Edgar comes, as we get ready to close, there's this subtle yet significant difference between trying and trusting in God. Are you willing to release your grip today? Are you willing to give Him the controls? Are you willing to take your cues from the indwelling Holy Spirit of what it means to be like Jesus, to be a servant? When I replace my trying and I replace it with trusting in Him with a will to be obedient, something powerful can happen. Hebrews 12.2 says, Keeping our eyes on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish, He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy He knew would be His afterward. My challenge to you this morning, friends, as we enter into Holy Week together, as our kids wave the palm branches and remind us of the crowds that were so excited about Jesus coming in, the disciples who are ready to get their first and second place, Jesus says, do you even know what you're asking? Do you even know what it is that you are assuming in your mind? I didn't come to to be served. I came to serve somebody else. I came to serve you. Laying down my life as a ransom for you as you move through this holy week. Take time on Monday and Tuesday to come in and see the artists as they depict scenes from the Passion Week and let that be a, a, a way of worship for you. As you come to Good Friday service and as we quiet our hearts and we think of the great price that Jesus paid for us, this is more than just some religious act. It's the heart of a servant That Jesus says, come and do likewise. When we celebrate next Sunday morning and we declare His resurrection and the power that He gives us in His life, it's not power for myself. It's not power to be filled up with what I want. It's not to have the bib of celebrity that we could just get what we need. But it's so we can be like Jesus, putting on the apron of a servant. I want to challenge you to respond as we sing this song. In fact, I want to invite, would you stand with me now? I'm not going to have an altar call. I'm not going to ask you to come talk in a microphone, but I'm going to ask you to respond to God. Not to me, not to Edgar, not to anybody else. You respond to God off of what he's been speaking to you today as we lift up this song in prayer, and then I'll dismiss us in just a minute.